Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anyone else that I happen to come up with. Whether you got here by chance or uh, you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, um, someone just that's floating through the channel, please feel free to um, leave a comment, subscribe, do all of those things. Um, hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. If you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. I also generally live stream recording these episodes, um, on Wednesday nights. Obviously this isn't Wednesday night. Um, you can find all of my links on Instagram at embellishpod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's also a pl place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is... October the 28th, and we're going to be talking with Diane from Bourbon on the Banks. Um, so I'll give you just a you know couple minutes or whatever, just kind of run through what Bourbon on the Banks is, um, and then we'll get into some questions. Well, Bourbon on the Banks takes place in Frankfort, Kentucky, which is the capital of Kentucky. Um, we are also the home of Buffalo Trace Distillery um, and several other distilleries uh, within 20 minutes. Um, we host an event called Bourbon on the Banks Festival. It's actually um, several events that take place over a Friday and Saturday. The main event, which is the festival, takes place on Saturday. Um, this year we had over 55 distilleries there represented, um, some out of state, some in state, um, several liqueurs, a couple of breweries and wineries, um, but mostly it's about bourbon. And uh, you basically pay a, for your ticket and you get to come in and sample and talk to the distillers. Um, we have several bourbon societies represented, bourbon women. Um, we have just a handful of select uh, merchandisers that are there that sell bourbon related items. And we have lots of food trucks there so that you can um, kind of get a little something to eat between your samples if you need to. And uh, it's a great time. So you said you've got a, a Friday and Saturday event. Um, kind of what is what is the the structure of this look like? Are, are they are, are Friday and Saturday sort of different from each other? Because I know, you know, it, it seems like, or at least my experience is, is that September and October are the whiskey event months of the year. That's when everybody's doing something, whether it's um, you guys, St. Louis Whiskey Festival, Nashville Whiskey Festival, Whiskey Fest that the uh, Whiskey Advocate does in, in Chicago. It's all in that same kind of window. But some of those other events. Like the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, they're all basically the same event, just kind of stretched out. What is is that the same case for um, Bourbon on the Banks, or, or are you guys slightly differentiated? No, um, we are different. We mm -hmm. the main event only takes place on Saturday, um, as it stands. Uh, we are capped at two thousand people. If we want to expand, we will expand in days and not in capacity. Um, I think that that's one thing that's very unique to our event is it's a little more intimate um, mm -hmm. and uh, you are not standing in line for an hour to get a sample. So, um, but yeah, right now it's the main event is on Saturday, but on Friday we have what is called a VIP reception and bourbon auction. That is what it sounds like a VIP event. The ticket um, is more expensive. It has food um, and, and a bourbon auction. Uh, this year, we celebrated women in the bourbon industry. We had 10 very well-known women um, there that you could mingle with. We also had uh, Freddie Johnson from Bourbon on the, or Buffalo Trace Distillery, which is our own personal 
um, celebrity we just love. And uh, so that, that play, takes place from five to eight on Friday. And then we also have a community event called Bourbon Street on Broadway. Um, and that is for everyone, it, people who are coming for the festival, people coming out of the VIP, um, it's for um, the surrounding communities and um, especially for our community. Um, we usually get thousands of people who come to that. It's all free. We have, um, it's, it's kind of a circus theme. We've got um, uh, aerial performances and circus. We've got fire acts. We've got street performers, live art demonstrations, um, magicians, human statues. It's, it's crazy. It's, um, they say Frankfurt gets freaky for one night and we kind of like it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's what that is. And, uh, like I said, it's, it's free. There's a huge, we have the old Capitol, which is, um, a real, it's a celebrated kind of piece of history that we have right on Broadway there. And it has a beautiful lawn and we have a lot of free activities for kids on that lawn as well. So there's a DJ that plays lots of dance music. It's a good time. Yeah. And that's what Friday looks like. And we have a pub stroll that takes place down there too. Yeah, I knew about that. I had several friends that were at the event this year and uh, got a whole lot of snaps of the pub stroll and, and the experience from that. And so um, I, I will I will agree. I have not attended Bourbon on the Banks, but from an outsider's perspective, I can see a distinct difference between what you guys do and what other events are doing is because you have an open to the community event. You have a VIP experience. You have a tasting experience and you have some events that are open to families. And so you kind of like run this full circle, whereas a lot of other events kind of become one note. You know, it's the all 21. We're going to cram as many people into a, a fenced in area as possible and uh, see how much whiskey we can shove in front of people. And there's not as much opportunity for kind of the, the, the conversations to exist, but you were describing the almost circus like atmosphere. And that was, I guess what happened this year. Is that sort of the vibe that you go for every year or do you change up themes or is it, um kind of it's stay. every year we mm -hmm. um every year i try to find new and exciting performers um that are different so it's not it's not going to be the exact same thing every year and even the performers that return we try to get them to do a little something different so so yeah it's cool so yeah and and that's it, you, you kind of know what you're going to get but you also get to try something new right because you're going to have new performers but um, it, it does. And, and this is a thing that's, that's unique. And you know, I'm, I'm a native Kentuckian myself. Um, and I've been to Frankfurt a handful of times for different things, you know, school trips, whatever. Uh, our capital is a little different than most states capitals. It's not a large city. It doesn't have a ton of people floating in there and it has a very, um, homegrown vibe to it. At least in my perspective, I've, I've been to a lot of state capitals and that's the way it is. And it seems like this event fits that atmosphere. Is that, you, th you think that's correct? Or you think I'm off base there? Um, I mean, it's, it's one of a kind, uh, mm -hmm. you know, when, when I was first introduced to burn on the banks, the very first year that we had it in 2019, it was my job to create that Friday night event. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we have a concert concert series that takes place every other Friday throughout the summer. Um, and we have bands that come in and it's, you know, it's a big kind of street party, whatever. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to regurgitate this thing that we do all summer long. I wanted something completely different. So I think it is different for Frankfurt. But um, and and I think when people come down, they're still surprised at how unique it is compared to everything else that we have to offer. 
but we are a pretty eclectic community. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, <laughs> so we are pretty accepting of pretty much anything that comes our way. So I think that that's another reason that the community embraces it. I think, yeah, you, you're exactly right. Eclectic is probably a much better term than what I was using. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the far Southern Western portion of the state, you know, we're almost Missouri down here. Um, and, and, and Frankfurt is eclectic. That's, that, that's, that's a really, really appropriate uh, thing. Um, so that's the kind of the atmosphere of the Friday event. What is, what does the atmosphere of Saturday look like? Oh boy. It's just lots of really good, positive energy. I mean, we start setting up at seven in the morning and you know, our, our volunteers are happy to be there. Our distilleries are excited about the day. They're happy to get going. And that energy is just like, before we open up the gates for people to come in, you can just feel the vibration of just like, let's do this. And it doesn't stop until it's over. People, um, so this year I was down in the event experiencing it, but working my butt off, obviously, and trying to make sure everything's going well. And just, you know, people are walking around with smiles on their face and, you know, you, you see them gather around a distillery as a, you know, their master distiller is talking about what makes their, their product special and, you know, encouraging them to sample it as a group and talking about, you know, what, what to look for and you know some of the distilleries will have actual tables behind their tent where you can sit down and and you know have a personal one-on-one -on -one. and we've got a couple of um of like uh, the bourbon societies might have a, a lounge where you can sit down and talk to them for a little bit but i mean people are just walking and visiting each distillery um but it's just it's a it's just a really cool positive vibe that just goes through the whole event and it goes until we break down at night it's mm -hmm. it's i don't know it's hard to explain until you experience it right and so you, you know that you, there's not many places that are going to offer an opportunity for you to have more than about a 25 or 30 second conversation with anybody at a booth, right? You know, you go to a whiskey event, you've got maybe 30 seconds to ask some questions and then there's a line behind you. And, and, and it seems like you guys are mitigating that a little bit with capping attendance. Um, so you can have that sort of you know, personal touch, which is appropriate for whiskey, I think, or, you know, specifically bourbon because there, I can't think of the number of times that I've, you know, had whiskey and ended up in a really, really long conversation. That's just sort of what happens with bourbon, right? Yeah. You start absolutely. drinking, you start having conversations and then you look up and you're like, Oh, I've, I've been here for five hours and I was only going to stay for 30 minutes. You know, yep. that's just sort of what happens. And, um, it, well, it and everybody's got a story. Everybody's mm -hmm. every distillery has got a story. They all started from, you know, a, a different beginning and their journey has been different. And it's, you know, you think you're going to hear the same thing over and over again, but you don't. Mm -hmm. it, every single one is unique. And, you know, it's, it is. It's about that experience. It's not about drinking as much bourbon as you can as fast as you can. Because um, <laughs> you can only do that for so long. And that's, right. that's the other part. That, you know, That'll end your events. day pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, you're going to buy your ticket. You, maybe you're going to get what you're after, but you're going to limit your, your, your ability to enjoy the, the full length of the event at that point. Yeah. And we, we do have, um, we try to stagger our entrance as well. So we have mm -hmm. a one o'clock early access ticket, which, you know, those are the first people who get access to the event. Um, we do have bottle sales, so it gives you first access to the available bottles. 
Um, and then we have a, a second wave that comes in at two o'clock and then we have a four o'clock wave. So it kind of, even though it's capped at 2000, it staggers out that the, mm-hmm. the flow of traffic. So it's, it never feels really crowded. It's definitely, you're surrounded by people, but you're, you're all there kind of, you're not fighting like a dog over a dish, you know? Right. Yeah. No, that's, and, and it's appropriate. And you said it, and it, it lasts until it ends. Like what is end, right? So we've got a one six o'clock, o'clock. o'clock four, six o'clock. Yeah. Six o'clock okay. is the, the final call and we got to shut them down so that we can get our distilleries out preferably before dark. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> yeah, happen, and, but you know, the majority of it's done before dark. Yeah. They're at least able to not have to do everything by flashlight at that point. Right. They're not right. trying to. And we've done sure. that in the past. It's just mm-hmm. not convenient and. But yeah, we figure that five hour time and, you know, I send out surveys um, to make, you know, get feedback from people. Was it too long? Was it too short? And, you know, the vast majority, you know, 95% say it was just right. So, and I mean, I've been to other events that, you know, were set up for 12 hours and realistically, I can only go through something like that for about five or six hours personally. Like that's the, the, the top end for me because number one, like if I'm there just to taste whiskey, you, you're only going to get about five or six before your taste buds are blown out. If you're there to have conversations with people like your social, your social um, bank account gets really depleted because you spend six hours just talking to people. And sometimes it's just, you know, time. then you need to go get something to eat and you need to be able to drink water and all of these other things that kind of come into play with it. Six hours, I think is, a, a good time frame there. So when do you start, like, are, do you have the event on the same weekend every year, like the second Tuesday of whatever, or do you like pick a weekend? It's the first Saturday of October. Mm-hmm. That's, um, you know, the first year we held it in August. Mm-hmm. We got really fortunate with it being a cool weekend, but mm-hmm. um, that was, <laughs> that. That was bad <laughs> to, I mean, to continue, we actually thought about that, got a lot of pushback. So, mm-hmm. um, the second year it was actually it, the third weekend in October, but starting last year, we chose the first weekend in October and, and we voted as a board to keep that consistent. Um, that way it's easier for people to remember, put it on their calendars. Mm-hmm. So if I were a person who plans ahead, you know, like that kind of a human being, be a good opportunity to like go get a hotel room for that time. Yes. If I was traveling in town right now, that is uh, an excellent suggestion. We are all of our hotels were at capacity that weekend. Um, a lot of people did have to kind of commute, which is, you know, that's another good reason to keep our numbers capped, you yeah. know, cause our infrastructure just can't handle much more than that either. Although we do have a lot of, um, boutique hotels mm-hmm. and airbnbs that will be coming on board um hopefully before the event so that'll open up some more like downtown but um spe- specifically the the plaza hotel which is across the street from the event that's our only downtown um actual hotel right now and mm-hmm. that that was full by march of last year so it's really good to book those early if you if you want to get that hotel <laughs> yeah and that's i mean that's a, a, a really kind of a key thing that you guys are taking into consideration there because there are other smaller towns that have um whiskey events that have similar infrastructure problems and they just say oh no we're going to shove more people in we're going to you know kind of maximize our our dollars and you run out of hotels and you end up saying oh do i can i stay somewhere that's 45 minutes or an hour away which doesn't lend itself to a whiskey event 
you know, being that right. far from where you're trying to sleep. We do um, have a shuttle service that, mm-hmm. um, or a, a transportation service. It's kind of like a, an Uber or Lyft, but that is not reliable in Frankfurt, unfortunately. Yeah. So we have a, a, a business called Happy Trails, and she will do um, trips to your hotel if it's out by the interstate um, for flat fees. She'll take reservations, but she'll also drive you to Lexington, Lawrenceburg, Harrisburg, Shelbyville. Um, and she has a whole fleet of people who do the driving that weekend nice. um, to get people where they need to be safely and not have to worry about it. Yeah, the last time we were in Frankfurt, I don't know, maybe six months or a year ago, we stayed out on the interstate um, just because it was easier for where we were traveling through or whatever. So there's there's a grouping out there, but that's really nice to hear that you guys have some degree of transportation opportunities to get people to and from the event, you know, because yep. that can be that can be problematic in in other situations. Um, so you know, you're you're capping attendance at two thousand, and if you want to have more people, you'll have more days. Um, how are you, are you capping yourself on number of distilleries that are going to be available or is that an area where you're always looking for growth? Um, so we have the ability to fit more in there. Uh, where we hold the event is a park. It's along the river. It's a linear park. Um, we can actually keep extending it quite a bit farther. So we haven't had to cap it yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but and we have it slowly increased in size every year. So if if there's a distillery that wants to get involved, is this a thing where you guys you know sit down, you have a board, and do you identify distilleries, or do you do people reach out to you, or is it a mix of the two? Like how do you get the the, the distilleries? So I have a master list. Um, I begin by inviting back the distilleries who were there in previous years, and then mm-hmm. um, invite the distilleries that have not yet attended and i have a lot of distilleries that will reach out to us as well um and i have some board members who are on a committee which we just call the distillery outreach committee and they tend to be people who travel a lot and go to events and stumble upon different distilleries and they'll share share information and we'll reach out to them and invite them to come as well mm-hmm. and so there's 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 uh, I think you said there's a board of directors that are involved here and then there's some subcommittees. Like how, how does the, the, the board of directors get picked? Like how does this group of people come together? Like what did they do right in life to be a part of a whiskey event board? <laughs> well, you know, the original board had a lot. Um, I didn't have a lot to say in, in that board. I wasn't even mm-hmm. on the board. I just, you know, helped with the event. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was made up a lot differently than what we have now. When I came on board and become became the director in 2020, um, I really wanted to see my more, most active participants in Bourbon on the Banks be part of my board. Mm-hmm. Um, like my prize volunteers is what I like to call them. And um, that's kind of how it happened. When, when a spot became available, um, I would, you know, the person who's getting a hold of my food trucks, I wanted her on my board, the, you know, the gals that are the, the guy who's my logistics person who is completely priceless. His name is Eric Northcutt. I, I insisted that he be on the board this year. And so that's kind of how we choose it. We, we like to have, um, a, uh, a lawyer on the board. It's always mm-hmm. handy to have that no matter what kind of board you sit on. Um, right. And people with experience in the industry are, our Frankfurt bourbon society um, a lot of our board members are part of that or on that board as well. So they're very um, heavily invested in the bourbon community. 
So we try to get a variety in there, you know, people who have something to bring to the table. And that seems to be at least, you know, I've, I've been involved in, if I remember correctly, this is, this is a nonprofit organization event type situation. Uh, I've been a part of boards of nonprofits and it usually starts with, um, my wife decides we're going to do a thing. And then I'm like, all right, I'm going to go do the thing. Now I'm volunteering at an event. They're like, Hey, you want to come be a part of this because we value for X, Y, Z reason. Um, and those are always really rewarding opportunities, you know, for you to kind of be a part of a thing in the community. But, um, what makes this like, why is this a nonprofit event event as opposed to a for-profit event? Like what's the, what's the goal here? Uh, well, we have, um, a list of beneficiaries that we, um, raise money for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, one of those is the White Oak Initiative, which is dedicated to um, the sustainability of the White Oak, which is responsible for our bourbon barrels that we mm-hmm. make bourbon out of. Um, obviously, that's that's a very important product that we need to have in order to make this. We're not um, blind to the fact that, that a lot of trees have to die for this this distilled, you know, item. So we get back to that. I think we are in really good company. You know, Sazerac, Brown Foreman, they're all contributors to the White Oak Initiative as well. Um, We also give to um, what's called the Bluegrass Community Fund, which allows us to to pinpoint specific areas in the um, Frankfurt community that need some help. So we were setting money aside in that fund for the park where the event takes place. Um, to improve signage, um, remove some of the invasive species so we can see the river better, um, you know, do some improvements. Um, And then we also have uh, some scholarship money that we set aside for any student in Franklin County that would like to go into a fermentation and distillation program at an accredited college. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Kentucky State University, they have a fermentation and distillation program there. So anyone from around the country that wants to go into our program at Kentucky State University, we have scholarships for them as well. Nice. That's so that's, you know, it, I like hearing that this is, you know, like this is a fun event. And, and most of the people that are attending likely are not attending because their money's going towards a good cause. They're attending because they like whiskey. They like events. They like music or, or whatever. Um, but you know, there's, there, there's something that kind of gives you that little added, you know, kind of kick up of like, oh, well, you know, there's also like some good causes behind this. Um, how did you guys select what it was? Like, I understand the white Oak initiative. I've talked about that particular one before, um, on, on other episodes kind of around that, but like the, they all seem pretty straightforward, but I, I can imagine like, did it start off with the idea to raise money for all of these things? Or did you slowly over time say, okay, we're going to add this one in. We're going to add this one in. Well, originally um, it was all of the money went just to Kentucky state university. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, originally there wasn't as much money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's started off very small and you know, the, they just didn't have a, make a whole lot of money. And when you're getting started, you really need to set aside more seed money to make sure right. that you're sustainable in the long run. But, you know, once the, the amount of money that we were able to give grew and also the demand, um, there are a lot of scholarships even now, I think, that are available for that same program. So they, you know, quite frankly, did not need this much that much money um Mm -hmm. we do offer the same amount but um now that we had more we really just 
wanted to figure out where else we can put this money and putting it back into the community so that the people who live here and the people who visit here are benefiting from the money that they brought here. Well, you know, why not? <laughs> if that makes right. sense. So you have, uh, you know, you, you sell out every year, you have 2000 people coming Are the bulk of these people tourists, or are they um, locals or is there a blend of the two? Like, do, do you know what your, your segmentation looks like here? So 55% of our attendees, both this year and last year were from out of state. Believe out of it or state. not. Yes. Um, and to me, I'm, I'm very proud of that. I mean, I think we are all really proud of that. It's, it just really shows you how important these type of events are to Kentucky in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not competitive. I, when it comes to other festivals, we, you know, we are all doing the same thing. We're trying to highlight Kentucky. We're trying to highlight bourbon mm -hmm. and share it with the world. And so, um, so it just goes to show that, you know, Kentucky matters and people are willing to come here to experience it. Absolutely. And you, but, but you're not just limited to Kentucky distilleries. Uh, I think there's some other events in the state that sort of do limit it down to like, oh, you're a Kentucky distillery. Um, you guys have out-of-state distilleries that are participating as well. Is that, is that correct? That, yes, it is. We have several. I think mm -hmm. we had um, right around 20 this year. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe not quite that many. Maybe closer to 15. 15. So if we're thinking 15 out of 55 is still, you know, pushing at 13 or 14%, which is a, a good number. Like that's a really solid number for, um, folks to come in. And I know, um, I know some of the, the out-of-state distillers that were there, I've interviewed a few of them on episodes before. And they're, they're the kind of people that like, if I had not art, like I didn't come this year because my daughter had something going on that weekend. You know, that's the way life goes. I have children, they have events, they do dance yeah. or gymnastics or whatever. Um, but I knew Alan was going to be there from Spirits of French Lick and he and I have talked a number of times and I've had him on a couple episodes and it's like, you know, I want to go and just like hang out with him for a little bit and I couldn't make it. And it was incredibly a sad, sad day for me. Um, how do you kind of measure the success of the event? Right. You know, you, you know, you're going to sell it out. You know, you're going to have a number of people. Um, but I'd imagine that over time, like, success looks different because sellout if you do it every single year is now just the standard like what's the what's the thing where you look back and you're like all right th we know this year worked well first of all we have not sold out the okay. 2000 tickets um that's where we've capped our event we sell out our early access tickets okay sorry we sell out our vip event um but every year we have grown by 300 so we are incrementally getting larger every year um and as far as like the success um i like i have targets you know mm -hmm. i try to make sure our expenses are covered by sponsors so that all the ticket sales can go towards the beneficiaries um i send out surveys uh to the distilleries to the community to the attendees to my volunteers um, I try to get as much feedback as possible and, um, you know, getting that feedback when, when it's overwhelmingly positive, that, that tells you it's mm -hmm. successful, you know, when, when I'm trying, searching desperately for ways to improve the event and I'm having a hard time finding things, <laughs> there's always, there's always right. room for improvement and I will always search for improvement. Um, but you know, those are the things that just the fact that we are consistently growing at a nice, perfect little rate, it's, it's all good. Mm -hmm. So you, you, you mentioned that if 
you ever, you know, if you hit the 2000 cap and you wanted to bring more people in, you're going to kind of increase the number of days of the event. Um, have you, have you thought about that? Like how, how do the logistics of that work now that you're going from like a single day distillery event to a double day distillery event, because you have the VIP event, which is part of it, but sort of a separate function. And then the Saturday thing is when everybody's there, like, have you guys already started working a plan on that? Or is this a, we're, we're, we're going to deal with what we have in front of us right now. Uh, we have thought about it. I mean, we mm-hmm. would extend it to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, that just makes sense. Um, I think we're probably good for at least one more year before we would have to really think hard on it. But it's it's definitely within the realm of possibilities, for sure. All right. Um, so I assume, you know, this this event hasn't been around for, um, you know, 10 years at this point. It's How many years old are you on the event? We um, just had our third year. Third so year. So I'm planning for the fourth. So you were doing something else before this, right? And and, and you 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 ended up in working on this role. Like, how, how did you get to um, running this particular event? Like, were were you a whiskey fan and this happened and you <laughs> wanted to join jump in? Or like, it's always interesting to see how people end up where they are. I know, I know. Um, sorry. Hey, that would be the mailman who comes. I'm waiting every on UPS day. to do the same thing with my dog. <laughs> UPS is about to do the same any minute, so I understand. Yeah, I just, anyway, I know. So, um, so like I said, I was in charge of Bourbon Street on Broadway that very first year. We had just moved to um, Frankfurt in 2017. Um, and I, I was a stay-at-home mom. I mean, I, I went to school, I have a master's degree in vet science, um, and, but stayed home with my kids. I homeschooled my kids, had a lot of time, big, big on, like, you know, given back to the community. So Mm -hmm. when someone was, when they were looking for somebody to organize this event, they volunteered me and, um, you know, I, I was pretty good at it. I have a lot of, um, experience with event planning and, um, I've organized, uh, road bike events Mm -hmm. before, um, the Polo Cross Nationals was here and that was, I organized that, um, just, you know, little things along the way. I do have some experience with event organization, mm-hmm. but never in a million years managed or thought that this is what I would be doing. Anyway, when our main, Wendy Kobler was the one who initially started this in 2019. She worked for Kentucky State University um, and she accepted a position in upstate New York and left the day after the event and kind of left a gaping hole there. They they did kind of play around with hiring someone else. And when that didn't work, they asked me if I would do it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, I'd, I'd give it a go. Of course, the pandemic happened. But we, <laughs> you know, I had a lot of practice that year. And, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, in 2021 was the first year I had it all myself. And it went really well. And they've they hired me back for 22 and, and then here I am doing 2023 again. So you, so you've already started working on putting stuff together for 23. Uh, I assume. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, starting the week after the event, we, we have lots of follow-up meetings with each mm-hmm. committee, you know, what went well, what are our lessons learned when it's all fresh in your brain. Um, and we've already, you know, planned on tweaks for next year. Um, 
we've our, I've contacted several sponsors already. So we are actually hoping to get our tickets um, so on sale by Black Friday. So we want to open up those early access tickets um, as well. So once those are gone, those are gone. But mm-hmm. we'd like to have the tickets available so that people can give them as Christmas gifts. And you said those sold out by March of last year? Is that right? Um, I can't remember when the early access tickets sold out. We, I don't think they went on sale until February. So mm-hmm. um, I know when we initially, boy, now I can't even think of when it, it, it doesn't but matter. But, you, you know, you, it, you may have 60 days to sort of sort out your ticket situation from whenever they start uh, is what we're getting at is, you know, I wanted to yeah. impress anybody who listens to this who's interested in going like as soon as they're on sale you better make a decision pretty quick because you may have a narrow window to get after it. Right. Especially for the early access tickets Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, getting those hotel rooms earlier, highly suggested as well. (laughs) Right. Um, you know, I, I I am terrible. I'm not terrible, but I take a lot of notes and they get scribbled in, they get all, um, kind of disoriented in here. So I've I've lost my place on what I wanted to ask next. Is there anything that we haven't talked about for the event specifically um, that you would want to cover? You know, like we, we've got tickets potentially going on sale um, around Black Friday. Need to book hotels now. It's always going to be um, the first Saturday of October, uh, at least in 2023. You know, people could change their mind after that, but you've already solidified and are working on those dates. Um, are there any other like key points that we need to hit? But while I try to figure out what the hell I wrote, <laughs> well, um, I really encourage people to come for more than just Saturday. You know, mm-hmm. that's why we have the events on Friday, but we've got a lot of things going on on top of that. You know, we've got walking tours with E. H. Taylor. Mm-hmm. He um, he's phenomenal he dresses up like E.H. Taylor and he'll walk you around downtown and point out you know specific areas of interest we've got um the bourbon boat that has bourbon tours you know on the river you can actually go through the lock four and visit Buffalo Trace on some of those tours but he gives you the history of the river Mm -hmm. um the history center has um a couple of tours that they do it's just you know, there's so much history here and there's so much bourbon history and it's, it's just, you can come here and and get a lot, you know, don't Mm -hmm. just come for two days, book it for four days and stay and enjoy it for a minute. Yeah. And if you're, I mean, if, if you're not looking at, you know, opening up the the gates until uh, what early access is at 1 PM. Right. And so Mm -hmm. you've got a morning to do some things and you can pick up a, uh, any one of this or a distillery tour at Buffalo trace or yeah. Um, yeah. You'll want to reserve that. You'll want to reserve your tours (laughs) at the distilleries now as well. Uh, You know, when I first moved to Kentucky uh, 23 years ago, that Mm -hmm. wasn't an issue. You could just show up and go on a tour. Um, But within the (laughs) last 23 years ago, some of them were like, you want a tour? What? (laughs) We had distilleries. I moved here in 99. You know, that's when Mm -hmm. Buffalo trace came to to Frankfurt and gosh, you know, that's, that was where we'd bring the families, but you know, just within driving distance, you know, you can Buffalo trace, you know, Glen Creek, Castle and key mm-hmm. Woodford reserve. It's just, there's a, a ton of distilleries right here in Frankfurt. You know, we've got three boys and bourbon 30. Um, so there's just, 
there's a lot of things that you could definitely do if you were to come for a week. So you, you said you do have bottle sales on site as well. Do, do yes. you guys do any single barrel offerings that are for the event itself? Or is it just whatever the distillers happen to show up with or what you procure, procure through a distributor? So um, as long as the distilleries, this is new this year, the House mm-hmm. Bill 500 made yep. it possible for any any distillery that has a Kentucky distillery license to sell bottles at fr- festivals, farmers markets. Um, so they were allowed to sell at the event. They can bring special bottles, um, out of state cannot sell. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our, um, our local liquor store called wine cellar who was carrying the out of state bottles. So you could go into their tent and purchase the bottles from wine cellar or capital cellar. Sorry about that. Um, and we had a barrel pick that we had done through wilderness trace and uh our wilderness trail my word distillery (laughs) and um we we had that it was a four grain bourbon that we had Mm -hmm. selling at the event as well and we intend to get another barrel pick this year i'm not sure through who i we have our feelers out for a couple distilleries but i'm not allowed to to talk about it yet yeah i'm sure and that's that's always great because uh you know usually the people for for events like this usually the people that end up on these picks you get some you know pretty phenomenal volunteers that want to go out and they'll pick out some really amazing whiskey you get a chance to buy something that's limited um you get some access to some people your proximity to you know and, and one that i'll kind of touch on very very specifically castling key is one of the most beautiful grounds that you can kind of go to now as they're rebuilding um, what used to be there, but I'm, I'm stuck back on this walking tour with E.H. E. Taylor. Um, those are always fun. Like, you know, like h- historical tours where you have someone who is, you know, kind of dedicated. I think of, um, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I think about, uh, the, the Shaker village that is South of Lexington. And I can't think of the name of Pleasant Hill. You know, like they have these people that kind of do these reenactments. It's always yeah. fantastic. And, and, you know, if you're there for whiskey and you get to do, a walking tour with an E.H. Taylor. That sounds pretty fun. It is. It is. You definitely dive into bourbon when you're here. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's the beauty of Kentucky is that, you know, most, most parts of the state, you can dive into to, to bourbon pretty deeply. Um, I think that I've hit all the questions that I wanted to ask. And I think we've covered most of the things at this point. Um, if you don't have anything else, we can, we can cut it there. We don't have to um, keep it going too significantly long. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you had us and I hope you have us back so we can tell you about the new things going on this, this next year. We'll be able to tell you about the barrel pick and we yep. may be planning a couple um, brunches maybe with distillers or things like mm-hmm. that as well. We just haven't, you know, it's very early. <laughs> so. Yeah. That, that's, and that was the other side of it. Was like, I knew it was right after, but I, you know, I always like talking to people right after the event because you kind of get the, the fresh experience of, of this year's event as you're kind of eyeing the next year. And then we'll revisit this conversation once you have kind of details lined out, because now you get to measure like the things you're talking about now versus what you actually get to do. And sometimes you overshoot those and you're like, Oh, well we wanted to do this and we're doing these other five things now as well. And so that's always, those are always fun conversations to have. So I truly, truly appreciate you for hopping on. Um, Quick run back through first Saturday in October. It's in Frankfurt. Book a hotel now if you want somewhere to stay. Um, tickets will go on sale very soon. Uh, we, we're, you're, you're targeting Black Friday, but it could be give or 
take five, 10 days, whatever it happens to be. Um, but you'll want to get those tickets early. Like these are the things that are there and you go to what website do we go to to get these things? So the website is bourbononthebanks.org. Um, I would encourage you to follow us on Instagram uh, and, mm-hmm. and Facebook, uh, which is just bourbon on the banks. And we will usually do a countdown to the release of the tickets um, and, and keep everything current there as well. Mm-hmm. Right now, I believe our um, website still has everything from last year. Eventually, that'll get reset. Yep. And we will start you know, putting in our sponsors and distilleries that are coming for 2023. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Diane, for hopping on. I'm going to hit my uh, outro here. Um, thanks for the time. And we'll talk again here in a few months whenever uh, you get past the I can't talk about it part and you get to the I can talk about it part. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds great. Thanks thank for you. having me. No problem. Thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellish Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using Embellish Pod. Give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and more. Um, I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.